All right, bud, we'll pick up here as this will be the opening for part two of our listener conversation. As always, Louisiana hot sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, title sponsor of the Nolcast, New Iberia, Louisiana, that to which we point and give thanks to. And uh, let's jump back into these listener questions. Johnny asks, where did Memphis offense average pace of play during Norvell's time there? So I think we mentioned that he runs with pace, not necessarily a breakneck pace, but uh, somebody who uh, embraces aspects of it, but not necessarily somebody that you models himself after what Kendall Browse is trying to do. Yeah, so there's two ways to look at this, really. Um, so I went and pulled his, his numbers in terms of like average plays per game, and Memphis was upper third in college football in, in his four years there. So uh, you know, pretty consistently like like top 35, top 33-ish. Uh, and then, actually, if you go to adjusted pace, which is Bill Connolly's metric, uh, they were actually in the top quarter of all college football. So this is going to be a fast offense. Uh, there, there are some years in which they go real fast. There are some years they go a little bit slower. Uh, I think that is evidence of, of Norvell kind of adjusting to what he has uh, personnel-wise. Uh, but it, it's definitely not going to be like in the bottom half of college football in terms of pace. It's, it's generally going to be upper third, upper quarter, based on his track record. Uh, Marat asks a question uh, just above that on our sheet. He says, uh, you mentioned that FSU football is hampered in attracting top head coaching talent due to short-termers uh, like the AD and the president. You also said that the new AD in, uh, would want to make his or her mark with the new head coach unless the existing one is doing well. Given the fact that FSU is short of money, how would a new AD over the next few years be able to fire an existing coach and hire a new one? Where would the money come from? That's actually well, a really good point. It's a great question. It's a great question. Yeah. Um, kind of referenced this 10, 15 minutes ago. Everybody at Florida State holding their fingers and uh, <laughs> everything else crossed right now that there's no coaching change anytime soon. Uh, you, you made a commitment to Norvell here, and uh, it won't be the, the traditional aspect where you bring in an AD and uh, he gets to necessarily just pick, bring somebody in within a year or two, which will make an interesting hire, bud, because they are going to be very conscious about wanting to bring in a, uh, a football-focused AD. You know, as we kind of talk about where uh, organizations will go from players coach to non-players coach, disciplinarian, um, etc., one of the things internally is they don't think that Stan Wilcox was a, a football-first AD. And I very much expect them to uh, hire somebody who is reflective of that. While at the same time, the real brilliance of the position is that you get to uh, oversee an iconic football program, but you also get to manage uh, what is, other than maybe like Stanford or one other athletic department, as well-rounded athletic department as any in the country. So uh, that'll be an interesting process to look at when they go through that and kind of how they look at candidates in trying to hire somebody that's uh, familiar and kind of football first, but also somebody that probably isn't going to be putting his thumbprint when it comes to uh, what the coach looks like. That's a really good point. Um, In some ways, you just basically argued that Florida State being short on money actually helps your job security for the new head coach. You're like, ooh, I might have a new boss, but the boss might might not have money to get rid of me. (laughs) Oh, you've got job security. Trust me. I mean, yeah, everybody's going to be – Fully committed to uh, to letting this 
play out and hoping that uh, all parties involved kind of grow into the position and find each other to be a good fit. Yeah, it, like if I'm Norvell, I'm, I'm straight up telling these guys, hey, don't be judging me till like 22, 23. Seriously. Because, I mean, like in 22, my first full class will be sophomores. In 21, I'm going to be hampered. My, my seniors are going to be the, the, the first Willie class, and my sophomores are going to be my first class, and neither of those classes are going to be any good. Like that that's the kind of patience that I think if you're Norvell you need from the admin, from from the fans and supporters, et cetera. I mean, again, if you fire your head coach after two years in the early signing period era, you are committing to like a legitimate five, six year rebuild. Period. Uh let's get to Derek's question. Derek says, What are the realistic expectations in year one for Norvell? Do you think the hype slash expectations from fans will be toned down compared to Willie's first season? Uh so I'll take the second part first. Yes, I think they'll be very toned down because I think it's much easier for people to accept that the expectations should be low following what Willie did as opposed to following what Jimbo did because a lot of people weren't willing to accept some of the things that were going downhill under Jimbo and then Willie Tucker came in there and did not help himself in any way by basically embracing the sky-high expectations instead of tampering them down uh, like he should have, in, in my opinion. Uh, what are expectations in year one for Norvell? I think five and seven is is uh, is fairly likely, just based on right now's roster and who I expect to leave off this roster. I think you're going to have a lot of kids hit the transfer portal and leave. Um, they're going to say nice things about Mike Norvell, but at the same time, he didn't recruit them. They, they didn't come here to play for him. So uh, I would say, like if I had to guess at a record right now, based on, on this roster and who I think is going to leave, I'd say five and seven. Yep, you make a bowl game in one year, it's a major accomplishment, especially with that schedule, 100%. Yeah. I mean, you're going to be an underdog in, in, in probably at least half your games, including three of your non-conference games, I think. Hmm. All right, uh, that's positive. Ooh, but, hey, you know the one thing we're not accounting for at this point? Like, ask me this question again in, in five months. Let's, let's know, have some transfer portal in. reflection, 100%. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Um. Hell, we don't even know if Blackman's going to be here, right? Like, who's going to be your quarterback for this team? I would expect him to look at his options, at least. I'm not saying he's going to leave, but I think you have to look at your options. Uh, Andy says, where does Norvell rank in the coaches that we could have hired that would have brought out the big the bag man? For instance, if Stoops was hired, uh, he would have brought out 100 bag men, Franklin 85, and so on. So we're, this is like on a 100 to 0 bag man scale. Um... I haven't even met Mike Norbell in person yet, as far as like having to be able to ch- chat with him one on one. So I'm going to probably pass on answering this. Um, but I, uh, I will say that the booster reception so far to him has been pretty positive. People really like that that like big like preachy uh, opening speech he gave, um, and like a lot of my mom's friends, for instance, really liked it. And I know some of those people are, are decent sized boosters. So tell him to go buy us a defensive tackle, bud, or an offensive tackle. Like, let's get to getting. Checking his list, checking it twice. All right. Uh, Kerry says, is there an ACC caliber talent at Memphis that could enter the transfer portal and follow Norvell to Florida State? Um, I think we've all kind of talked about the quarterback and that he's not, uh, you know, he'd be kind of a, suitable substitute in a, a stopgap. If you want to look at Memphis, 
maybe one of the running backs, maybe maybe one of the tackles stands out to me, the right tackle. I don't know of I don't know, maybe somebody in their secondary, but there I don't think you'll see a, a real big exodus of talent from there. And uh I don't know there's a ton of pieces that necessarily stand out that would be kind of plug and play or great fits. Yeah, normally I would say hell no, but Memphis was a lot better team than Florida State this year. I mean, Memphis was the top 15 football team in the country, and Florida State was not. Um, I I could see them getting a guy or two off this roster, especially if a lot of the players from this, or excuse me, if a lot of the coaches from this staff go to Florida State. For I mean, they already have Fuller, obviously. Um, you know, if they end up taking like rushing, and if they end up getting. Uh, the, the offensive line coach, who we know is interviewing interviewing for the job there at Memphis, uh, I mean, I, I could see it, man. Like, like I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if you're Florida State, why not kick the tires? Especially post spring, you could say, huh? Uh, some of these guys in Tallahassee really just can't play the game, and we we, we need to get better here. The, the bar is low enough that I think it, it's it's worth a shot. Um, I think I'm trying to think of the name somebody was asking about. It, it might have been, it might have been Scotty Dill, but I, I need to check to see if he if he actually is out of eligibility. The running back, uh, Patrick Taylor is uh, he's a senior, so I don't think he's eligible. Kenneth Gainwell is a redshirt freshman, so I don't believe he's going anywhere. Obviously, he's he's a pretty damn good player. Uh, Coxie is is a junior; he'll, he'll be going pro. I I don't know. I, I need to think about here who you could actually get off that roster. Um, but it's a good question. I know they'll be hitting the transfer portal pretty hard to combat all the guys of their own who are, are going to be going to the transfer portal. Kerry right. ask, uh, or excuse me, not Kerry, uh, Santosh ask, any insights on what type of support staff uh, polo shirts are appropriate terminology Norvell will have as his disposal, but I know a lot of people were pouring over contract figures today and looking at that, and to my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the broader support staff, which it's important to note that uh, S&C guy falls under this umbrella, is uh, pretty much unknown at this point as far as what exactly he's going to have at his disposal. Yeah, what is known is that uh, the money for assistance, it looks like, is actually... So it looks like it's smaller than what they gave Taggart, uh, but it's actually not true uh, because the overall dollar figure that they that they gave Taggart also included, I believe, his a lot of his off-field like analysts and, and S&C staff and whatnot, uh, whereas the number for Norvell, I think, is specifically for on-field coaches. So uh, the, the number for support staff is still TBD. I, I have to think that Florida State realized the error of its ways in terms of some of the budget cutting it was doing. Um, and again, I'm not blaming that for like why Willie Taggart failed. Obviously, there's a lot of other reasons too. Uh, but I mean, how much money did you really save in the long run by by by, by cutting your staff and, and and cutting your your support staff? It's probably like one of the problems with, with having a spreadsheet guy as your AD. Uh, let me see. Oh, Matt. Uh, in review on 247's recruiting listings, it looks like Dillingham, who's the new offensive coordinator, uh, is listed as the primary or secondary recruiter for several recruits, especially on the offensive line, like y'all have mentioned. Yeah, we talked about that in last week's show. Uh, what do y'all know about these recruits, and what realistic likelihood would you place on them flipping to Florida State? 
Well, I, I would place a very low likelihood, actually, on, on those guys flipping the FSU. Um, Auburn was getting them because Auburn had a big need on the offensive line already. And that, line, that, that need on the offensive line for the Tigers, the school that's recruited them, you know, for almost the whole year, uh, is, is not going away. They've taken multiple visits to Auburn. So I, I would say uh, that, that I, I think the chance that Florida State gets into those guys of the ones who are going to sign early is is pretty low as, as far as the offensive linemen, unfortunately. But we do know that Coach Dillingham's been following a lot of new offensive linemen on Twitter in the JUCO ranks, and uh, and Florida State needs to bring in some guys, so I, I think they will. But I don't think it'll be those guys specifically, unfortunately. Yeah, I think people sometimes kind of jump to optimistic uh, ideas when they see things like that. Really, I would suggest that what you take away from that is the ability that uh, you know the guy has in able to identify and get kids of that caliber uh, to come play for his program, not necessarily that you're going to poach the kids that he just went through that process uh, and convinced to go to his former employer. So uh, it's a positive thing. It's just more, uh, much more of a, a lagging indicator uh, when it comes to when it actually shows up for the product or the uh, program that you support, rather. Exactly. Appropriate that it's a listener Q&A session here, bud, as I will uh, give our listeners uh, my own feedback, and that is that I'll go ahead and ring the bell that uh, the 17th of each month is Reuben Day, uh, something that uh, Madso has uh, stood above the crowd since day one, what they do one day a month. Uh, they take it real seriously, and they put out a real serious product uh, as a as a result of it. So, want to p- point people in that direction uh, as just your monthly reminder, and also point people to the Madison social social media, the Mike Norvell built for playmakers pint set uh, that is available. And uh, go ahead and need to make up your mind on that as quick as possible if that's something uh, that you want, at least from the shirt perspective, before the holidays. And why wouldn't you? I mean. Who wants to start their, their collection off with that? I do. It's, it's pretty sweet. All right. Uh, so, uh, Jesse, uh, Jesse says, How aware is, is Mike Norvell, uh, RE, our major holes at offensive line, defensive end, and linebacker? Obviously, offensive line is a national narrative, uh, but the other position groups could end up a long-term rebuild like the offensive line. Heard anything regarding temporary and or long-term fixes at any of these positions? Uh, well, my guess is that somebody's told him at this point. I don't know for sure that he knows about, about defensive end and linebacker, although I think linebacker is actually a little bit better than some people think. DN, I, I've had my doubts about DN, and we talked about this for like the past three signing days. I, I, I wasn't really a big fan of some of the guys that Willie signed there, nor, nor the last Jimbo class. Um, I have not heard anything about temporary and or long-term fixes at those positions right now. I think the offensive line, we talked about this, is a legitimate four-year rebuild, so they would be entering year three. Year three, we we thought that they should be able to get to below average, and year four, maybe get to average or slightly above average. So year four would be 2021. I think, honestly, it's going to be a pretty big jump to get to below average next year uh, because they really didn't make a whole lot of progress this year. And that's really concerning to me because Coach Clements, I, I have a lot of respect for, and I think he's a really good coach. And and I don't think that, that Coach Greg Fry just has no idea what he's doing. And for both those guys to have such poor results with the offensive line, I mean, there, there wasn't a whole lot of improvement this year. There were some, 
and there was some noticeable improvement. But it wasn't like leaps and bounds. They were still kind of more bad than anything. That suggests to me that the guys they have just can't play. Because now you have two coaches in a row who, I mean, if you guys saw the little stat we tweeted out on the Nolcast account, it just seems like there's very little evidence that these guys can play, with the exception of Pope. Uh, but another year in the program, another year in strength and conditioning, another year of coaching, um, I can't rule out improvement being made. And I think that the chance they can go in and get get a transfer tackle who is as good as Ryan Roberts is is probably fairly high. So maybe you go get two of those guys or three and you create some more competition. And competition makes guys work a little bit harder, maybe, and they, they lift a little more. Who knows? Maybe, maybe you can get to below average this year. And you can actually get back on track to what we thought was kind of a conservative arc, if I recall. I mean, remember all, all the crap we took for saying – Four-year rebuild and and you know below average by by year three is crazy and and like that's way too slow. Now that might look fast. Yeah, it's uh, disappointing. The last uh, couple of games uh, and the way it ended and it really felt like uh, offensive line reverted back to some of the more nastier habits of maybe the past four or five games. And there was a period of time where it looked like Clements was kind of making miracles happen. Uh, we talked throughout the season that they were so much better and not just allowing, you know, constant blown up plays where Cam's getting touched two and a half yards deep in the in the backfield. And there's elements of improvement. But uh, when you go back and you look at what 2019 was, it's a pretty sobering reality as to just how horrible, horrible uh, the level of talent is on the offensive line. And it's uh, an issue that's still yet to be addressed. And uh, it's going to be something that plagues this program for far, far too long. Yeah. Uh, now, I will note this, by the way. Hornbrook made these sack numbers look a lot worse than they were. You could tell he was used to playing at Wisconsin. And, I mean, his sack rate was – well, hold on. I can actually tell you. This this was kind of instructive, by the way, uh, in terms of who should play. Uh, Hornbrook's sack rate was 14.1%, which is – God, that hurts my brain. Um Blackman's sack rate was 8%. So people think Blackman held the ball for a long time, and at times he did. But Hornibrook's sack rate was just, like, otherworldly. And he didn't even play against Florida, where, where Florida had, what, like nine sacks in the game? Um, so if you look at some of the improvements or lack of improvements that the offensive line made, the, the one area in which it actually went backwards a lot is sack rate. And we know that the offensive line has a good part to do with sack rate, but it's not entirely on the offensive line. Some of it is the quarterback. And in this case, I if they had played Blackman the whole year, I do kind of wonder if we if if the offensive line would have would have shown more improvement in some of the metrics because in some of the other metrics it did look like it went from terrible to bad, which is what we thought it was going to need to do in order to stay on, on course for the uh, NOLCAST four-year improvement plan. And if you kind of take out the sack rate, which is, this is really cherry-picking and, and probably not the correct thing to do statistically, but they did have some categories where they went from like 125th to like 92nd, you know, which is bad, but not like, oh my God, bad. So maybe, uh, like maybe that's, Something to, to get excited about? Maybe they can actually get the below average this year if they get enough transfers? Let's hope so. 
Let's hope so. I mean, uh, it's just the level of play at that position has been atrocious for tar- far, far too long and has to be fixed uh, one way or another. And let's oh, hope that it. the transfer portal plays a big role in it. So, hey, here, I found it here, right? So opportunity rate. This is like the number, the amount of opportunity your offensive line is creating for your backs. 126 to 83rd. Okay, that's a, that's a 43 spot jump. That's pretty solid. Stuff rate allowed. 125th. To 113th, so that that's that's measuring, um, basically how many times you you were stuffed for zero uh, or one or negative yardage on runs. So another pretty solid uh, improvement there. Twelve spots. I mean, not great, but not not nothing. Uh, how about line yards? Okay, 124th to 121st. So not a whole lot of credit being given there. That's only three spots. Havoc rate allowed. 122nd to 121st, so they, they approved, uh, by my math here, one spot on the year. And then sack rate, uh, they went from 75th to 114th. I think part of that is that last year, or rather in 2018, uh, DeAndre was just not having it. He was just throwing the ball away way early, right? Um, this year, the passing numbers were certainly a lot better, and part of that is because they were willing to hold the ball a little bit longer, although Hornibrook held the ball for, you know, a, a, a super long time uh, to his detriment and, and made a line uh, look even worse than it, than it already was, if possible. But if you take out the sack rate, they're, they're, they did show some improvement. I think you'd be hard-pressed to argue they were bad and not terrible, so maybe not enough improvement to actually move up a category. But, you know, it's it's not nothing, I guess. All right, uh, so you want to talk a little uh, quarterback recruiting. We know that uh, Vishal, uh, or Vishal uh, Blake, and Matt, and several other people want to discuss quarterback recruiting. Can you give us some insight on the existing recruit status, in particular Jeff Sims, but also the other targets at the position? So uh, Jeff Sims, longtime FSU quarterback commit, uh, who was committed to Taggart and David Kelly and those guys, uh, decided to decommit following a visit on, was that Monday? A Monday visit from Coach Mike Norvell. All kinds of rumors going on out there about what was actually said in the meeting. So far, Sims has not commented on this. I reached out to Jeff uh, and to his dad, who are typically pretty communicative uh, during this process, and, and I, I really like them, honestly. I, I think they're, they're good people, and I, I wish them well and, and look forward to watching them in school. Uh, my guess, like, there's a rumor out there that Norvell went and told him, hey, we, we don't want you in the class. I don't think that you waste your time driving to Jacksonville or, or flying to Jacksonville and, and, and taking your time to go meet with somebody like that in person. Just tell them you don't want it. I think you'd probably just do it with a phone call if you're going to cut somebody loose like that. Now, what I think might have been said, and this is me speculating here, but I think this makes some sense, is, hey, we know you've been taking official visits to other schools like Georgia Tech and, and Maryland's also really heavily on you. We need to rebuild this quarterback room we're just going to be straight up with you. We're going to take another high school quarterback in this class as well, and we're going to take a transfer. And, you know, like we will evaluate your fit in our offense because it's a different offense that, than what Coach Taggart ran. It, it probably is a little bit less QB run, uh, to be honest, that, than, than what Taggart and Browse were going to do. And obviously Sims is an excellent runner, and he's developing as a passer. I actually think he has some skills there, and I'm not really sure about the passing offense of his. Uh, in high school. So uh, he ends up decommitting. We'll see if he makes his official visit this weekend. 
to Tallahassee. I kind of have my doubts about that, obviously, since he just decommitted. But uh, but we'll see there. He's obviously been somebody who's recruited pretty pretty well for Florida State. Uh, I I think it, it, if if Jeff Sims if Jeff Sims wanted in the class and you told him no, which I don't think happened, uh, I I'd be pretty surprised about that. But I also think it would be a mistake because I think Sims is a pretty dynamic personality who other kids like, and there's a chance you could develop him into something, you know, pretty solid. So. Uh, where do you go next? Well, Cade Renfro was in on a visit uh, over the weekend, an official visit, actually. He's being heavily recruited by Kendall Bryles. Kendall Bryles, who I don't expect to stay on staff. I, I don't think your guys do either, right? Uh, no, no, I don't expect that. And I think we'll get to this in a second, but I piqued, piqued my interest when I saw a school that did offer him today. So uh, the thing is, Coach Norbell actually did get to meet with Cade Renfro on Sunday when he was hired because Renfro was leaving his official visit. Uh, and so they got to sit down. Renfro's a Texas kid. Norvell is actually a Texas guy. Uh, if Norvell likes his film, it wouldn't surprise me to see to, to see Coach Norvell use one of those in-home visits that he has uh, on Renfro. I mean, this is a guy who clearly already likes the school enough to come officially visit it, even when it didn't even have a head coach like officially done, right? <laughs> um, I don't think that one's totally done. I will also note, though, that Ole Miss offered Renfro uh, – I think today or last mm-hmm. night, one of the two. And the new offensive coordinator, Ole Miss, actually is Jeff Levy, who was the quarterback's coach at UCF. Now, this does make sense in some ways here because, A, UCF was already recruiting Renfro, and, B, uh, Levy runs a similar offense to what Browse runs. They, they were on staff together at Baylor, or at least I, I believe Levy will, will run that. I mean, obviously UCF runs a pretty similar offense to what FSU runs except UCF can block. So my guess is that what Kiffin will run there with Levy as his OC will be something fairly close to what Browse was going to run. So there's a continuity element there for Renfro. Uh, but at the same time, there's a guy there in John Reese Plumley at Ole Miss who's, who's pretty solid. I mean, he's a little bit different. He's a huge runner. He's really not much of a passer so far. Uh, playing time might be easier to come by in Tallahassee. Next name is Tate uh, Roadmaker. Roadmaker is a uh, Faldosta prospect, longtime USF commitment, um, decommitted, took it out of his Twitter profile. Uh, Twitter profile, so that's when you when you know it's real. But uh, interesting player. There's some in the state of Georgia who think really highly of Tate, uh, and then there's some that think you know USF level commitment is is probably. Uh, more indicative of of what his uh, college prospects might be. Yeah, so his uh, his numbers were extremely good uh, in in high school this year. I think he had forty touchdowns and nine interceptions. A guy who put together a really strong senior year. Um, I believe Baylor offered him as well. Now is that is that correct? Uh, so I think that is correct. Playing, I mean, playing quarterback for uh, besides Odessa Pearman and maybe one or two other teams. Probably one of the more iconic high school football programs in the country. Uh, for Valdosta there, it's still a big deal. Uh, he's an intriguing prospect. And look, I don't, there'll be people that disagree with me, then, but I think you've got to uh, make a conscientious effort to cultivate South Georgia whenever pro- uh, possible, particularly that part, you know, the Thomasville, Valdosta, uh, even up to kind of America's area where you're just too, there's too much geographic proximity for you to not 
uh, be a player there. And while it's true that Kirby Smart's from Bainbridge and Georgia's going to be a hell of a competitor on anybody that you overlap there, it doesn't mean that you just seed that part of the country. And I would, uh, I'd like Florida State to have a presence there as much as possible. There's no doubt. So, look, if you can't get elite talent at the position, which right now you're not going to get it, uh, it's really nice to be able to recruit with numbers and, and attack the problem by throwing bodies at the problem. And because Florida State's depth chart right now at quarterback is not real legit, I mean, you have, what, Blackman and I, I Jordan Travis, uh, who will have to see how, how well he fits in, uh, certainly. Um, you can take a kid like, like, like Roadmaker if you can get him in. Uh, and and you can get him to commit. That he's not a bad option. I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's he's an absolute stud at this point. I, I haven't seen him in person, so I'd like to see him in person. Uh, but he did put up really good numbers. Obviously, pretty good talent in in South Georgia there. So uh, a guy who the staff likes and and was was taking a look at at Ole Miss. Uh, and two other guys we should probably note here, but I don't think that they're really in play that much at this point. Uh, Robbie Ashford, who was uh, committed to Ole Miss, he's also a really good baseball player. Uh, he decommitted. Georgia needs a quarterback uh, as well in this class, probably another one. And uh, Georgia's new offensive line coach is Matt Luke, who was the head coach of Ole Miss because Georgia's offensive, offensive line coach, Sam Pittman, left to become the head coach at Arkansas. So go figure. Um, my guess is Ashford will go to Georgia, but I'm not 100% on that. And then we saw that uh, Coach Dillingham – who's going to be the quarterback coach as well, I believe, uh, did follow Greg Spann, uh, who's a Tampa area kid, on Twitter. And that's a Spann's a player who Florida State looked into initially uh, during the recruiting process. They, I, I guess they technically offered back during like the verbal offer season, but they really didn't, didn't follow up on that a whole lot, to my knowledge. So we'll have to see what, what happens there. Um, I, I'm not 100% convinced on Spann. All right, uh, actually, we should update this, that uh, Coach Norvell actually visited with uh, with Renfro uh, tonight, and Renfro had a really positive tweet. You can check that out on uh, Twitter.com if you want, but he said a lot of really good things there. And it looks like, based on the tweet, that Coach Norvell uh, made a good impression. We'll have to see uh, what kind of impression Ole Miss uh, makes on Renfro, but uh, uh, could be a good guy to add to the class here, uh, certainly somebody who... Um, Coach Norvell seems to like. Another quarterback who we know they have interest in and is actually going to take a visit this weekend uh, to the Seminoles is uh, Chuba Purdy. Chuba is a kid who has been committed to Louisville for uh, quite some time. If you recognize the last name Purdy, that's because his brother uh, Brock Purdy is the quarterback for Iowa State. I think he's a high three-star, low four-star type, um, but another guy who I'm sure Memphis has had its eye on for a while since he's out of Arizona. Norvell has connections to Arizona, so does Kenny Dillingham. So they're going to be pretty plugged in there to the high school scene in Arizona. And that's a kid that they they believe that, that it's worth going out there and, uh, and, and and taking a swing at. So he'll be on campus this weekend despite being committed uh, to Louisville. So you know, you got to think that a chance uh, for either a flip or to sign a quarterback, maybe even in the early signing period, uh, is, is possible. And then reloading this quarterback room uh, is, is going to be pretty important for Coach Norvell and his staff. All right, Agram here to tell you about Resolution Home Loans. Of course, the sponsor of the Nolcast Studios. Resolution helped me get my, my mortgage on my house, and they've helped about 40 Nolcast listeners do the same. Why? Great rates, 
great customer service. They'll walk you through the process. Maybe a little null chat uh, as well. When you call 844-FSU-LOAN, you'll get hooked up with Shannon Young. He's the guy you need to get your mortgage. Or go to FSUHomeLoans.com. It's 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. Uh, let's get back into the questions here. All right, so uh, Dane asks, how likely is it for the staff to get two of Silverfield, Thompson, Long to coach offensive line slash tight ends? Okay, so uh, Coach Long is Chip Long, uh, who was the Notre Dame offensive coordinator, but those two parted ways uh, this year. I'm not sure if that was like a firing or if that was a mutual parting of the ways and maybe he's looking for other opportunities. Not entirely sure. Um, now, what are the chance they get two of those? First of all, has Chip Long ever coached offensive line? I, I don't think so. But, uh, so I would say unlikely for him, unless I'm missing something there. But uh, with with Silverfield and and Thompson, I, I think that would be the ideal plan. Would be to bring both those guys on, have one coach tight ends slash tackles, one coach centers and guards. Uh, this offensive line needs all the help it can get, and that, that includes coaching, obviously. With Thompson, I, I think there's a good chance you could pull him away from TCU. Uh, with Silverfield, uh, Adam Rittenberg of ESPN reported tonight, this is, what is tonight, Thursday? Uh, uh, reported Thursday that, uh, um, that's, uh, excuse me, Barry Odom, the former Memphis coach, and then Silverfield, who is the current Memphis interim coach slash offensive line coach slash assistant head coach slash OC. Uh, those are the two top candidates to get the job. So we'll have to see what direction Memphis goes there. If Silverfield does not get the, not get the Memphis job, I fully expect him to join Florida State staff. If he does, then, I mean, obviously he's not going to join the staff if he's the new head coach uh, at Memphis. Chris he's, asked, he's already told us he's going to retire there. So uh, Correct. Good. Good luck to him, definitely. Okay, uh, Chris uh, says, Bud and Ingram, I uh, would love to see your insight on how coaching staffs uh, recruit, especially during the early signing period when is when there is a transition. Uh, seems like there are so many variables. How do recruits react in the current climate with, with so much that is unknown? For example, you have a new OC while also having last year's offensive coordinator out recruiting. Yeah, that's true. Um, so basically they're just being told, hey, you know, Florida State will make a good hire. Obviously, this is a really good school, and the program's great. And the bottom line is they're still being paid to recruit um, and still being paid to, to sell that message. Sometimes guys are pulled off a trail if you don't feel that they're able to do that or if they're if you don't think they're going to they're gonna kind of spread your message well. Uh, but here's the bottom line. Those guys who are not likely to be retained, they're not going to be that good of recruiters for you, period. Because, I mean, like, can you imagine – being a salesperson when the person you're selling to knows that you're about to leave the company and the product is likely going to change a lot. Like if you have a, if you have a lot to do with the product, it's just not going to be that effective. It's better than nothing. Uh, but it's, it's really not that effective. Um, that's why it is good to get some guys in here, uh, as coach Norvell is trying to do. All right, next question is, um, let's see, uh, Pat asks, given your informed speculation, how long do you think it'll take Norvell to fill out his entire on-field coaching staff? And has your opinion changed at all about who will make up that staff since you last recorded? Cheers for keeping us informed. Thank you, Pat. 
Okay, so I would say my opinion has not changed much. Uh, I would add TJ Rushing to the people that I think uh, are legitimate candidates to be on this coaching staff. Um, how long will it take him to fill out the coaching staff? Certainly, as long as, as old Miz, or excuse me, as Memphis decides to to make its head coaching hire because of, of the Silverfield angle there. We also don't know, like if Silverfield is um, is going to be the, the head coach, would he make rushing the DC? I don't know. I mean, I, I mean that's just total speculation on my part, but it's something I think you have to ask yourself. Um, my guess is that he will get uh, he'll get it all done by mid January. I think mm-hmm. have, you think you'll have everybody in place by the time the dead period ends, uh, like 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 the the All Star Game dead period time. I, I think everybody will be in place by that point. I would expect to have your class about 90% filled out by Christmas even. Uh, you may see it a little bit earlier than that in my opinion. But, you mean your uh, coaching we'll, staff, right? Yeah, not your class. Coaching staff, excuse me. Okay. Um, okay, Bud, you're a betting man. And this is well done by Patrick. Patrick says, Bud, you're a betting man. While Louisiana hot sauce is a sure thing, would you bet that Mike Norvell will have a better 21-game record than Willie Taggart? What if you had to give two games to take the bet? Would you still take it? Okay, um, would I take him having a better 21-game record than Willie Taggart? And Willie was what? 5-7 uh, and seven and then 4-6, and six, I think? Is that right? Because Odell won his last two games to get FSU to 6-6? Six and six? Yep. So five and seven and four and six would 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 be, I mean, yeah, I. So nine and thirteen does that sound right? That's twenty two. Uh, we're giving him the loss in, against Florida that he didn't take. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking, what what the hell am I thinking here? Okay. So. But in any case, nine wins in his first 21 games. Yeah, I'm going to take the over on that. Because uh, I, I, I don't think that he's going to go five and seven and six and six. I think there's a better chance that, that he gets at least a game better. Uh, would I give two games to take the bet? Like meaning that give two, so in order for me to win the bet, he would actually have to be three wins better? Through a twenty-one game sample, which means he would have to basically be twelve and nine. Uh, no, I would not, because then basically, if if you're saying that, then uh, no, that that that's that's not something I'd be willing to do. I'd probably give one game, but I, w- I would not give two. Uh, Patrick asks. Okay, so hey, what about Norvell makes you think he's a better hire than Taggart was? I know you guys were all in on Taggart. What adjustments for your coach evaluation process did you make as a result of Taggart's tenure? It's a good question. Uh, Certainly was all in on Taggart, and I think if you go back and look at it, uh, there's very legitimate reasons there. But also, in retrospect, you have to acknowledge that the hire was uh, really nothing less than a spectacular failure. Uh, I think you've got to get a better idea 
as to how an individual, what I've thought about anyways, you have to have a better idea as to how an individual fits uh, at an organization with where that organization is in time and maybe not make broader ex- extrapolations based off that. Uh, and also, if I were going to write a <laughs> a book on the Willie Taggart tenure, and I, I don't think you can at this point, and really you need probably another year or so to have a, maybe even two years to have a decent amount of foresight, but it, it would be uh, expectations and, and incompetence. And those two things, I think, uh, are really what, what burned him. Uh, expectations were too high, and there was such a level of incompetence so frequently in year one. Um, I said this kind of as a parting comment in a pod we were doing at the end of last year uh, that I thought that Willie started to lose some of the below-board recruiting uh, after the after the Florida game. And at the time, people didn't respond real well to that because it wasn't a message that <laughs> they wanted to hear. But in retrospect, I'm pretty positive I was accurate. Uh, it just one year one was such a dramatic failure. Uh, and when you look at how the first two games of year two went, it just snowballed so quickly and got away from Willie that uh, it's it just got to a point where there was no other avoidable conclusion. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with you as far as figuring out how somebody fits where a program is at a certain place in time. Um, that also would ask you to basically project that Wilcox was going to leave and be replaced with David Coburn or somebody else who was really not even more or excuse me, even less of a football AD and was basically like an accountant running the AD. Um, honestly, guys, I wouldn't change that much. You can be wrong about, about a coaching hire and not be, not be bad at evaluating coaching hires. What you need to look at is resume trajectory, and fit. What's the guy's resume? What does he do with programs from the time he gets there to the time he leaves? What do his references say? And how does he fit your culture? People don't want to hear this, but a good amount of the stuff that really plagued him was kind of unforeseeable because it wasn't stuff that was that was killing him at all at his previous stops, at stops that he actually had even less resources um, at his disposal. But yet he made some pretty colossal mistakes here. I think what you said as far as expectations and incompetence and image are, are exactly right. And and getting off to a, a good start is, is really important, especially if you don't temper expectations. That's why I think Coach Norvell really has to limit these expectations in the short term when he goes on, on, on the booster uh, circuit this summer, right? I mean, it, the, the temptation there is to say, I think we could be really good and impress you guys and all that stuff. I think he kind of needs to go more Scott Frost. Hey, there's a chance this gets worse before it gets better. Legitimately. Okay? You guys brought me in. This is your second new coach class in early signing period era in a three-year span. This means your roster is going to be pretty bad for a while. Period. I need your support for what's going to happen in three or four years that we have to start building for right now. We'll see if, if, if he has the foresight to say that. If he doesn't, if he gets swept up in it, then I think he could easily just have the exact same results that Taggart has in terms of setting expectations too high and being unwilling to meet them. And then Florida State could easily be a cautionary tale of what not to do in the early signing period era. 
now, as for the first part of this question, which I, I think we kind of ignore because the second part is really interesting. What about Norvell makes me think he's a better hire than Taggart was? Um, I think he's shown a better ability to adapt his offense to his players overall than Taggart has as a play caller. Um, he seems to run his own offense that's has the ability to morph a lot year to year. But the most important thing in terms of why you think he's going to be successful is simply the the track record of hiring coaches who, who were then hired away. I mean, gone through 26 coaches, a ton of them to, to promotions to P5 schools in just, what, two off-seasons, I think? Because the, the off-season from 16 to 17 and the off-season from 17 to 18 – I guess, well, I guess I guess three off seasons. Excuse me. Um, that's that's pretty impressive. And we, we went down the list. So I would say, uh, I think his offenses have been better certainly, and his hiring practices have been more impressive uh, than Willie's. Despite honestly, a, a you know fewer years as a head coach. Hundred percent. It's it's who he surrounds him self with and who he then chooses to surround himself with after those people go and get big time jobs. Um, Coach Pimp isn't going to get hired away by an SEC school, at least at this point in time. And that statement applies to an awful lot of people who uh, I think Willie Taggart's historically chosen to kind of build parts of his staff around. Um, Kyle asks, this is a question that was, uh, I saw frequently, and uh, we'll circle back to Patrick's question as I just accidentally skipped it. Uh, but Kyle asks, can you explain if how the transfer portal is tied to APR? Yeah, this is a really popular question. Uh, there was a lot of talk about how the prior coaching staff wouldn't have been able to process guys out due to Florida State's APR issues. And I'm curious if the transfer portal carries similar implications on the academic progress report. It seems that Florida State could be caught in a vicious loop of APR issues if players transferring in and out have a severe impact on this rating. Kyle's exactly right. Um, the, AP, the the transfer portal uh, does have a real potential to, to, to tank your APR. When a kid leaves, it hurts your APR. Obviously, if he goes and actually graduates at, and matriculates and graduates at, at the school he goes to, um, that can help you kind of recapture some of that APR damage. But the chances are uh, that players who transfer are not going to graduate at, at the same rate because they – on a percentage basis, I think there's a good chance that some of these kids are kind of damaged goods, if you will. So, um, yeah, there's absolutely a chance that Florida State gets caught in, in a vicious APR cycle. Kyle has, has very legitimate concerns there. And uh, additionally, like every kid you take in the portal is a kid who now counts against your APR and you have to graduate them. And so those kids, you know, you worry about your kids graduating when they go elsewhere. But then also all these kids you take in, you got to think, damn. Are we going to get this kid to be able to like stay and actually graduate and go to class and, and get some grades? Because there's a reason he's in the portal. And a lot of times these guys in the portal are in the portal for, for reasons that aren't that good. So, yes, that is a legitimate concern. All right, Aaron, we, we always want to thank our, our servicemen and women, especially those serving overseas and, and, and during the holiday season. We always see that we're one of the top sports podcasts in Belgium and, and Japan I'm like, how? Who is watching college football over there? I'm like, oh, yeah, we, we have a lot of folks deployed. So, are, are you in the military and going through a divorce? Uh, the division of retired pay is a major issue that needs to be done right, or you could lose out on a substantial benefit that you earned for your service. Understanding how disposable retired pay is calculated 
the impact of electing survivor benefit premiums, how VA waiver pay works in conjunction with retired pay, the difference between VA disability pay, concurrent retired disability pay, and combat-related disability pay, and the difference between active duty and reserve retirement pay, these are complicated issues that you want to make sure you get right. Our guy Travis Johnson has over a decade of experience in family law. He's a board-certified expert in the field of family law. There's only 280 of those guys in the state. He will come to you. He has cases throughout the state, experience working with clients overseas as well. You can reach Travis, 850-435-9919. That's Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm, 850-435-9919. Get it right the first time. Back up to Patrick here. Patrick-esque. Assuming we sign 75% of the recruiting class as it now stands and pick up a couple three-star guys to replace any attrition, how does our composite roster stack up against next year's schedule talent-wise? Are we temporary at NC State or Syracuse level, or do we generally have a talent advantage? If we do, what should be our realistic win expectation for 2020? I think Florida State would probably trade 2020 rosters with, I don't know, five or six of the teams on its schedule. Probably just for a one-year period, not not for like, hey, take them and develop them more long-term type thing, but just, just for, for the one-year. Um, would you take over or under six wins? I would take under because I think five and seven is more likely than seven and five at this point. Now, I think six and six is maybe your most likely record, but I definitely think five and seven is more likely than seven and five. At this point. Uh, yeah, Bryson asks, uh, I'm sorry, is there another point in Patrick's question you wanted to touch on? No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, Bryson asks, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the staff Norville is putting together. All the names associated with Norville seem like they'd be a great addition to Florida State, but I'm wondering if there are any concerns about the makeup of the staff. Other than David Johnson from Tennessee, there seems to be a lack of diversity among the names being discussed for Norville's staff. At what point does diversity or lack of diversity on the staff become an issue? Well, I think it's it's too early to start worrying about that uh, as an issue. It's certainly an issue if you uh, basically if if you overload the staff too far in either direction, right? As far as racial diversity or regional diversity uh, or age diversity, to be honest. Um, now, David Johnson obviously is African American, um, or maybe yeah, actually not obviously. I shouldn't say obviously. Like if you haven't Googled him, you don't know what he looks like. Um, Odell is African-American. He's being retained on the staff. I have to imagine that um, I think there's a decent chance Ron Dugans gets retained as well. Um, he's African-American. TJ Rushing, the, the defensive backs uh, coach candidate, who I'm not saying is going to get the job, just to be clear, but I think somebody who they'll look at uh, is also a young African-American guy. Um not a position coach, but uh, Edward Sr. seems to be very entrenched in what they're doing right now. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if he sticks around or, or if he ends up getting a, a coaching job um, somewhere. We'll, uh, you know, so, yeah, I, I would not worry about this right now at all. I, I highly, highly doubt you end up getting a staff of like 11 coaches and nine white guys. I, I don't think it would be that at all, just just from the names I've been hearing. 
Uh, All right, uh, just a couple, yeah, a couple random points, things that we collected across the world of college football. Yeah, so Tom asks, uh, hey, ESPN dropped their 150 all-time coaches list. I feel like Bobby Bowden should be higher than eighth, especially higher than Joe Pa. Uh, What are your thoughts on the list? For FYI, Jimbo Fisher was 110th. Um, (laughs) I, uh, I think the list has a couple ears. First of all, I'm just pulling up here to make sure I, I, I got this uh, exactly right. I think ESPN's top 150, by the way, is really well done, what, what they did with that this year. They, they, they went all in on it. Their editors over there managed it pretty well, uh, just in terms of, of packaging and, and the, the, the broadness and the scope of, of the subjects they hit. Nick Saban at two instead of Bear Bryant, I think, is, is kind of silly, to be honest. Um, I mean, the... Like back then, you could you could like stash players on um, track band like track everything. scholarships. Yeah. yeah, so like the 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 talent was not as watered down as it is today. Obviously, there's other stuff that Saban does you couldn't do back in the day, like having you know 100 person coaching staffs. Uh, but I think Saban should be one, not two. Uh, Newt Rockney, I wasn't alive for. He was 1918 to 1930. Tom Osborne at four. Um, I mean, look, Tom Osborne did a, a great job at Nebraska. I I don't have a problem with him being over Bobby Bowden, obviously. Uh, so I think him at four is is fine. Eddie Robinson at five at Grambling. Um, I don't know, maybe a spot high, but like he's certainly going to be in the top ten. I think. Um, Bud Wilkinson at six killed it at Oklahoma. Big time innovator. Uh, I mean, you know, he was thirty one when he when he took over OU. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and then Paterno at seven, Bowden at eight. I, I would definitely have Bowden over Paterno, especially because of all the Sandusky stuff. Uh, I, I just think that's yeah. Bowden had some scandals. Bowden never had anything close to that. Period. All right. Um, Bobby Bowden had wins vacated because some kids cheated in music class. Right. Joe and Paterno his was having pedophiles run around in his own locker room. Yep. And hmm. good, good amount of evidence that he knew about it, or yeah. at least it turned a blind eye. Um, other than that, the list, I mean, like, Frank Leahy, uh, I don't know enough about. I'm probably going to Google this guy. Like, I know I've heard of him, but I don't know enough about him. Um he was a Notre Dame coach from 41 to 43, 46 to 53, and uh, BC from 39 to 40. The guy won like almost every game he coached. He was 107 and 13. Okay, that's pretty damn good. Woody Hayes at nine. Uh, yeah, he won uh, uh, five national titles and 13 Big Ten titles. Am I crazy if I say he should be over Paterno and Bowden with five national titles and yeah, 13 Big Tens? Probably, probably punching the Clemson player doesn't help him. Uh, yeah, that's, that, that's a good point. Yeah, he did punch a Clemson guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, college football, don't change. Don't yeah, he coached from 46 to 78. Yeah, ridiculous. I mean, some of these... Yeah, you used to, you know, occasionally be able to take over a program at age 31 and just ride it out. Ridiculous, some of the longevity of these jobs. I mean, 
John McKay at 12. If you guys don't know John McKay, is just legendary USC coach. Uh, Pop Warner. I, I kind of lack some context in evaluating Pop Warner. I mean, he started in 1895 at UGA, went 7-4. Um, hmm. How the hell do you go 18-8 and eight over four years at Iowa State? He was 7-4. and four. Oh, I guess they just didn't have enough teams back then to play a 10-game schedule. That's right. Um, Barry Switzer is 13th ahead of Amos Alonzo Stagg. Uh, you know what, man? i got to say, I think this list is pretty damn good as far as who they have on the list. And if we're quibbling about one or two spots, it's not that bad. Like, that, that's a pretty good job. Hmm. Fielding Yost. they got a lot of guys here from, like, Turn turn of the you know, mm-hmm. 1800s and 1900s century. That's I think Lavelle Edwards over Lou Holtz is is a mistake. The the, the BYU coach. Oh yeah, yeah. Vince Dooley's on here in the top twenty five. Bob Devaney. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, have Dooley in the top twenty five. I mean, uh, yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he, he coached the freshman team. Huh. Wow. We don't even have freshman teams anymore. Bob Soups is on here, by the way. 29th. Yeah. 29th? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a... Dabo is 31st. Okay. I, honestly, I mean, I have my shots at Jimbo Fisher. I would have him a little higher than 110th. Uh, 2013's one of the best teams ever put together in the sport. I would uh, give him rather high marks. Uh, I'm not saying that he should be in the... 30s, 40s, or 50s even. I think 110th might be uh, slightly low. But, uh, hey, it's a good list, and it accomplished its goal. Got us to just spend seven or eight minutes talking about it. So so they have Spurrier at 27th. I think he should be higher. Um, especially because of what he did at Duke and South Carolina, which are two programs that have never really won a damn thing mm-hmm. other than that. Uh, and I know that that's that's a rival. Dabo at 31. Um He's got two titles and a runner-up, right? Like, that's not yeah. nothing. I um, feel like if we do this list in three years, Dabo possibly be in the top fifteen coaches. Dabo's uh, going to say. I think that's thing. yeah. I think that's a little bit a little bit unfair. Um, like if I say list. if I say if I say over under national titles for Dabo in the next three years, one. You going over under? So one's a push? Yeah. Under? If, if I go one and a half, clearly you're going under. Yeah. Because you would need two of the next three to win. I think under's the play, but I'm not convinced of it because they're probably going to be the national title favorite next year. Either them or Ohio State. I was looking at it this morning. Because um, the SEC is probably going to take a pretty big step back in, in, uh, in 2020. Okay. MJ asks us, say, hey, do you see a negative effect on college ball playoff teams as they lose coaches to new teams in their early signing period? Um, actually, I think the early signing period has hurt the ability of some of these coaches to get hired because the schools wanted to come right now, and it takes a lot of balls on a school mm-hmm. to say, hey, we're willing to wait and punt this early signing period. For instance, Boston College, it has been reported, is pursuing Jeff Halfley who is the uh, defensive backs coach for Ohio State to, to come be their new head coach at Boston College? Well, he's going to be in the playoff, 
Boston College is essentially just punting its 20, 2020 recruiting class. I mean, they're they're not doing anything right now. They they don't have anybody to. They're, they're not going to sign very many kids, and they're basically just punting on it. Not a lot of schools are willing to do that. Yeah, it's really interesting. You, you're going to have to show an awful lot of commitment, and you're right, even the bizarre outliers where you get to bring a guy like Pruitt and all of a sudden tag on Ramsey and uh, Demarcus Walker and things like that are just not going to be in play anymore. You're going to have to literally you know, sit it out absorb more or less at zero and uh look for look for the first full recruiting class to really be the foundation that that guy builds this program around and that's tough that is an awful lot of commitment and an awful lot of confidence in somebody that uh that you've never really seen work uh, underneath you so yeah it, it you know there's all these different wrinkles we don't know how they're going to play out how they're going to kind of shape the picture but the early signing day is something that we know and we're still kind of trying to figure out exactly what the end consequences are. I think I figured out, by the way, on this coaching list, the, the one I really have a problem with. <laughs> What's Dar- that? Daryl Royal, the guy who basically invented the wishbone offense, he won mm-hmm. three national titles at Texas and 11 conference titles, and they won 30 straight games from 68 to 70. They have him 38. Jim Tressel is ahead of him. Uh, Dur- or, uh, uh, the Georgia coach is ahead of him at 24th, Vince Dooley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Herschel Walker's coach, you mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's wrong. That, you, for- you, invent, you invent the wishbone, you win a lot more national titles and win a similar number of games and lose less games. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to pick Daryl Royal over uh, Vince Dooley. We uh, we did like two hours of show tonight, man. So uh, I hope people enjoy it. We'll uh, had an awful lot of questions. Tried to touch on as many as possible. Uh, this is you know been a lot of fun to do the NOLCast since uh, the first day we pressed record, but the last week and a half or so has uh, been fun to kind of see the transition. Try to get an idea as to the direction that Norvell's taking the program. Appreciate all the support. Appreciate the overwhelming amount of questions we received. Tried to get to as many as possible. And uh, Bud will have something probably in the what the middle of next week, early part of next week, and uh, continue to update to people as this kind of class comes together and as we prepare for early signing day.